Bienvenido, bienvenue, and welcome to Samaritan Conversations. In Luke's account of an event over 2,000 years ago, there's a story of a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho who was attacked by bandits. The priest saw the attacked individual and opted to pass the other way. A Levite, a religious leader, also opted to pass the other way. Then, according to Luke's account, a certain Samaritan, someone outside the religious establishment, stopped and helped. Samaritan Conversations is a podcast focused on community and business leaders who live as that certain Samaritan, that good Samaritan. Welcome to the show today, Darren and Stacy Horst of Aaron's Hope for Friends. Glad to have you. Good Thank to be you. here. Glad to be here. So I guess why don't we just maybe get started just by telling us a little bit about yourselves and we can uh, dive in from there. I'm Stacy Horst, um, a mom, a realtor, and um, on the board of Aaron's Hope for Friends. And I'm Darren Horst, a husband and a father, um, a faithful servant of our Lord, uh, hopefully. I show up that way every day uh, and co-founder with Stacy of Aaron's Hope for Friends. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Stacy was big, uh, pretty humble. It's more than just uh, on the board, <laughs> co-founder. <laughs> so um, I guess let's maybe start just with a brief kind of intro to just Aaron's Hope for Friends. What is it? Well, I'll start. So Stacy, you fill in any, any gaps that I leave. How's that? Okay. Um, so Aaron's Hope for Friends was born out of a, a tragic situation. Um, in 2014, we lost our daughter, Erin, who was on the high functioning autism spectrum, which is what it was called then, uh, had Asperger's um, and went through a, a very difficult time of her life and um, had some hurtful things happen to her, um, which resulted in her making a, a bad choice. Um, and she took her own life. Um, Stacy and I at the time, obviously, as any parent would be, we're, we're devastated and, um, but sat on our living room floor, holding each other, crying and talked about what we would do to honor her life and her spirit and who she was. Um, and we didn't have an idea or framework for what that would look like, but we knew that we wanted to do something to prevent other families from going through what we went through. Um. So we started to do research and ultimately ended up um, coming up with the concept for Aaron's Hope for Friends, which is a, um, a club or an organization that facilitates relationship for kids who are on the spectrum. Now kids, teens, young adults uh, who are on the spectrum. And, um, you know, the impetus was really our loss and watching Aaron struggle, making friends uh, and recognizing that there was a void um, so, so many services today are, are intent on trying to fix those kids as opposed to just let those kids and young adults be who they are and, and allow them to, um, I guess, intersect with typical kids or others like them. You know, uh, Darren said at one point, which we both, you know, wholeheartedly believe is that if Aaron had just one good friend, um, that she could have um, gone to the movies with, spent the night with, um, 
sadly, these children are isolated and uh, not asked to be a part of what is the typical world for teenagers, um, going to football games, going to parties. And in this day and age, uh, it's even more in their face, if you will, because of social media. And all the kids are on social media and then they see that other people are doing things and they're not being invited. So it's, um, it's a really, and, and all of us were teenagers at one time, right? It's just a difficult time <laughs> anyway to try and fit in. And uh, when you lack some of the social skills to be able to uh, meld in that group, it becomes even more difficult. You know, you go through this significant loss. Like at what point do you go, man, I got to take this loss and go serve others, right? Like I, I'm just, I kind of wrestle with just like, I, I don't know a lot of people, even though we're, we're doing this and we, we kind of call it the Samaritan conversations. It's just, there aren't a lot of people who really do that, who that, you know, next instinct is how can we use this to serve others when you're kind of in grief? You know, as Darren said, we, um, you know, we sat on the floor and um, it was probably, what, maybe three or four days after she had passed away. Um, wow. It was not long. And we just, I, I mean, the grief for us and, and knowing, you know, all the other kids who were out there because of taking her to therapies and, you know, everything that she did and knowing the population that was out there that's obviously suffering, um, I, you know, I don't know. I, I That's a good question. I think it's... Um, I think it's not wanting, I think what happened was, is we don't want one more child and Darren jump in, but we didn't want one more child to have to feel the way that our daughter did. Yeah. And through that brings in the families, uh, you know, particularly the parents. Um, and that no other parents would have to go through what we were going through at that moment as we were sitting there on the floor just in devastation. Wow. I think um, Stacy said it really well, but I think, you know, Sam, I don't know. I mean, I think that um, when you, if you grow up in a faith-based household or you have faith, right? I mean, you're taught that, that not that our faith is, comes from works but are you know we're not saved by works but yeah. our faith is manifested in works um evident you know in service to others and so we've always been um i think servants had servants hearts you know served in various different ministries um but i really think i credit aaron for the impetus because of her heart the way that she mm -hmm she was such a compassionate person and she was so um, she had such empathy, I think for people that were hurting and animals that were hurting, right? Because she, she internalized it so much. 
And she would, I think that was part of her struggle. She carried it around with her. And um, so really that, that was the motivation I think, you know, for us was to honor who she was um, by going and doing something, because I think, you know, I don't even remember it's a blur that first week, but I do think that, you know, we talked about what she would want, like, how would she want, what would she want us to do? And she would want us to go help kids. Wow. And I, you know, one other thing, um, and I'm not sure what, what word to use, but Darren and I talked about this earlier today. You know, I don't, I, I feel that there's a true purpose in this podcast today uh, with it being her 25th birthday. Wow. And, you know, when you asked us to do this, the first thing that came to mind was if anybody embodied a good Samaritan, it was Aaron. Because Aaron would do anything for anybody when she saw a need, whether it was people, whether it was animals, um, you know, down to, down to the point of giving away her own belongings, um, unbeknownst to us. Um, you know, an example is she played the drums and she had two foot pedals and a kid needed a foot pedal and they're not cheap. Yep. <laughs> she, decided, she decided she would take that to school and give it away. Um, you know, didn't even tell us, but that was, that was who she was at, you know, she, if somebody needed something, she was going to do it or she was, she was going to get it. So. Wow. That's amazing. You know, she, she taught you all and teaches everyone. I mean, that's, that's the heart that we're supposed to have. But I want to go back to a point Sam made because it's, it's very impressive. I've lost someone I've loved and it hurts. So I, I know that, that there was pain and there was hurt, but there's also anger. So my question is, how do you, um, I, I know you wanted to do something to help others, but how did you move past the um, hurt and anger of what happened and not allow that to um, pull a part out of you because in our minds and our hearts, when we are servants of our Lord and savior, we know what we're supposed to do. We can do it, but your even your heart is falling along with that. How, how did you not allow that, um, the, the anger and the mix with hurt and that stage of grief, not just cause a part of you to lose heart? And what I mean by that, when you start an organization like you all have, and your your heart is set on making sure others don't go through that, that that is where it is. But I'm not sure I, I would be able to move past the fact that I lost something. Something was taken from me. Yes, I want to help other people, but I, I, I lost. And I want people to see that loss because this was taken away from me and it was mine. Um, I know that sounds a little selfish, but when we, someone we truly loves leaves, it's not a simple thing to turn it into something beautiful like this. How did that happen? The part where the heart actually went with, um, let's say the, you didn't let the grief, the pain and the hurt and the loss get in the way of you fully um, doing this organization and helping others. I think for me, and, and Darren can tell his 
Um, I don't think that the anger ever goes away. Um, and that's, I'll speak for myself. It ebbs and flows. Um, even six going on seven years later, it's, you know, it, it it's still there. Um, but we wanted Erin's legacy of who she was to live on yep. and for Erin not to be forgotten because her life mattered, um, not only to us, but to others and her good works mattered to God and the things that she did. Um, so really, I think for me, that's, that's what keeps me going is that this is for her and this is for other people to see who she was and for her to see us making a difference in the lives of kids and families um, who are affected the same way she was. Yeah, I don't, um, you know, Stacy said it really well. I don't think you ever get past um, what happened, right? What occurred. Um, you you move through it and, you you know, sometimes you move forward, sometimes you move backwards. Um, you know, I think one of the things that we thought, we didn't want Erin to be remembered for what she did, you know, her last act. We wanted her to be remembered for the entirety of who she was and you know, how she was. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think we, I think, I think that anger and that, that grief um, was our fuel. We just channeled it, right? Mm -hmm. We just took it and used that as the energy to keep us going. We were determined <clears throat> um, and, and very motivated because, I mean, I think it, it, it partially saved us. You know, I know I'll speak for myself. I mean, it, it helped save me. Um, and statistically, you know, couples that lose a child to suicide, you know, have a one in less than a one in five chance of having their marriage survive. And so we made a determination. We prayed together. Um, you know, we were, we were both angry. We never got angry at each other though. Um, we never got, which, you know, I don't know. I don't, I, I credit our faith, um, our love, you know, the, the Holy Spirit, you know, there's a lot, I think a lot of things, factors that came into play. Yeah, I think that's absolutely amazing. Um, and you all said it best. It's there, you know, the, some of the anger's still there, but you don't let it control you. In spite of it, you're letting her memory and the love for her move on in this organization by helping others. Um, I, I think that's very commendable. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and I, I, I really appreciate because you you never know who's going to listen to this right so it's sort of you could be touching other people by kind of acknowledging that it's you know we're not superhuman right you could do superhuman things in the moment through like you know darren said it through the holy spirit or you know just based on your faith but it the the superhuman activity isn't because we're superhuman we just regular folks and so we have that anger it just it just makes sense to have it but um it's what you do with it that you know becomes the vehicle um and so i guess let's let's kind of talk a little bit about just the organization so let's kind of share it's been 
you know, several years now. So just the, what the organization has done, the impact you've had, I know it's beyond just the local community now. And so just, um, looking at things today, you know, like, and where the organization's going, like just speak about so that other folks who don't aren't familiar like Samuel and the rest can kind of learn about what you've done with that legacy to date and how you're continuing to just to carry on Aaron's legacy. You want to go Stace? Or you want me to go? Go ahead. Okay. Um well you know I mean I I I think when we talked when we visualized what Aaron's hope would be East Club, um, you know, a place, a, a loving, non-judgmental place where people on the spectrum could come and, and hang out and socialize and feel um, accepted. Um, you know, we talked about if we could help one or two kids, that'd be, you know, that would look like success. And, you know, Stacy, probably more than me, had a bigger vision for it. And um, I think that first night we had an open house. And that first night we had a hundred people come through um, and, you know, multiple families. I don't know how many kids did we have 40 or 50 that first yes. night. Yeah. Yeah, easy. And, yeah. And we were blown away. Um, and, and then when we opened, we didn't know what we were doing. I mean, we, we had some good ideas and we, we had a lot of people that loved us and advised us uh, people that stakeholders um, from the medical community. Um, you know, but we just knew that if we created a safe, loving place, um, uh, that these young adults and teens could come and hang out, th there'd be some success, right? Um, uh, having structured activities, um, having free time. I think, I think the one thing that would really created the success was uh, that we had, uh, some peers, kids who were peers and volunteers come in. Um, and it, I think it was illuminating for them and how much fun they had uh, hanging out with, with our kids at East Club. But every activity was intended to create some sense of connection, right? So we did as much as we could do to help facilitate activities that were done together um, so that a kid couldn't go off and be by themselves and sitting in a corner and be isolated. Um you know, and then it grew. I mean, I think we learned and, and we'd, we'd fail at things and we'd rechannel those failures into something else. Um, we got lucky or we were blessed, uh, divine providence, um, you know, and it, it grew and we opened up a couple facilities. Um, and then I think last year, you know, to everybody's surprise, COVID hit and we had to get really creative. We have a really talented staff, a wonderful executive director, and um, they got creative and we had a created a virtual ease club, um, which was really kind of a neat thing because we wanted to go national with the, with ease club and we still do, but it actually gave us the ability to expand our, our reach and footprint because we weren't constrained by, you know, people having to drive to our facility. So that was uh, a really enlightening, uh, cool serendipitous uh, occurrence that, you know, came out of something negative and bad with COVID. Um, but now we're intent on getting back to in-person meetings. Um, we're going to continue to operate virtually. Um, Sam, you know, we have a, a board that's intent on making sure that we've got good rigor um, and processes in place. 
And, you know, I think our vision is that we want to, we still want to be national, right? There's, there's a need in every community for an East club. So. Um, I would say for the people who don't know about East club um, or Aaron's hope for friends, the best way to think about it is a mini Dave and Busters. And most people know what that is. Um, you know, it's a big open concept with, um, air hockey, ping pong, pool tables, video gaming, um, games, just pretty much anything that you can kind of think of that we can fit in that space. Um, and we started out, you know, with <laughs> an open house and it just, um, you know, to our surprise exploded. Um, we probably touched to this point between four and 500 families just in the Atlanta area. Um, but we've also touched other kids, um, you know, and people around the country. We've had people who from all different states inquire about opening East Club until COVID hit. And, um, you know, we started with 12 to 18 year olds. So those who are in middle school to high school. And then we realized that once our high school kids were going to age out, um, they still had nowhere to go. And they, there was still nothing for them. And so we started a young adult group, which now is uh, graduated um, high school students through 24 years of age, which is a, a whole different segment. And of course we have lots of, you know, grand stories we can tell and lessons learned, but, um, and now we're finding that these 24 year olds who are starting to age out still don't have anywhere to go. Um, so we're going to start 25 to 30 and then at some point, I guess we'll just <laughs> have adults. <laughs> I'm not sure how that's gonna, you know, how that's all going to wash out. But, um, you know, when we decided to come up with the concept, we had a medical board that we worked with, um, that we did a lot of research and there's nothing like this, at least we know in the United States. Um, and by the sheer number of people who have come to us, you know, we know that, and who inquire, but they're too far away and, you know, can't drive, which virtual helps. Um, you know, we know the need is out there, so we got a lot of work to do. Yeah. One of the things I, I love about the, um, the you, we kind of shared it's all about connections and the fact that nothing says connections more than the fact that the kids who were 18 to 24 wanted to remain connected right so you basically have created relationships for all yeah. of these folks and even at 24 you know and beyond they still want to be connected so you've basically you know you're, you're living that vision um, for people. And as the organization expands, it, you get to do that um, across the country. Look, God has hardwired us all for relationship, right? Okay. So, I mean, it's in our DNA. I mean, it's in, and the challenge for these kids is they just don't know how to be, it's, it's hard for them to be relational, right? Yep. And then for people on the other side or the people that are interacting with them, because they're quirky, some of them, you know, they, they have, there's some 
odd things that can happen with kids on the spectrum or adults on the spectrum. They don't know how to respond to that relationally. Um, But, you know, no matter what, we all want relationship and we've just tapped into the ability to figure out a way to help facilitate them having it. Yes. Yeah. I I was going to go to, to that because one of the things I had to learn when there was, you know, when it was time to, to come on the board, I had to do, you, you hear of autism a lot, but you hear of it kind of, um, I'm not sure I even knew the full range of the spectrum. And so I tried to do some research. I called up a, a friend of mine from high school who had a kid with autism and, you know, had a conversation and then kind of got a little bit more educated on this, but the, the kids who are quote unquote high functioning it's really just the social skills. These a lot of these kids are extremely brilliant, right? And I think one of the examples of that um, is is Elon Musk, right? I mean, he kind of announced that he, um, you know, is high functioning, you know, level one Asperger's, whatever the definition you 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 choose, and you're someone who you know, is highly intelligent and happens to be on the spectrum. I thought I heard um, also that, and I'll have to go back and double check now to confirm this, but I think Chris Rock said he's, uh, he found out much later that he was, you know, high on the spectrum. And so these are brilliant people who just are not as good socially and, you know, we just have to keep that in mind and love on them and be more social to them because we all, we all are kind of, um, we all are different in God's sight and we all have different gifts. Mm-hmm. And if your gift isn't to be the most social person, that doesn't mean you can't, you know, fly people to space, right? You can, you can still ha- contribute to this world and we need to uh, celebrate the contributions of people. Well, I think, you know, just one quick story. Um, One of the beautiful things that came out of this that we never intended was that it has become a a vehicle of education to neurotypical individuals, adults and kids, because we have um, moms and sons and daughters who come and volunteer with us and um, there was a young lady who uh, would come and she was in high school and most people come in when they volunteer for the first time and their eyes are like saucers (laughs) and they walk (laughs) in the door and they're just like oh my gosh what have I gotten myself into because they think of autism they think of nonverbal tantrums you know really more severe Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're not sure what's going to happen. And most of them leave that night and say, oh, my gosh, I had so much fun. I want to come back. And that's both the parent and the child. Yep. Um, but this young lady made friends with a, a young man named Antonio. Um, and she just thought he was absolutely hysterical. I mean, <laughs> she would look for him every time she volunteered because he was so funny. Well, what happened was, is they ended up, it ended up that they went to the same high school. And so every time this young lady would see Antonio at school, 
she would stop and have a conversation with them or she would sit down and talk to him. Wow. For those of you who don't have kids on the autism spectrum, that does not happen. That's huge. Neurotypicals do not just seek out, you know, these kids and have a conversation. So, you know, that and, and these, these parents and these kids coming in, wondering what they've got themselves into and they walk away with an education and a new appreciation of how fun these kids are and how bright they are. And you know, that it's, <laughs> I mean, it, it's, uh, I don't know. For me, that is like been the icing on the cake. Yeah. yeah it was interesting. It, it, just a quick observation. Now, Aaron would, Aaron could sit and talk to you, Samuel or Sam um, and for hours and hours, right. And, and have a conversation and talk about a, a variety of subjects. She just, for whatever reason, sometimes these kids, they just can't connect with people on their level. It's, it's usually up or down. Like she could hang out with kids that were much younger than her and they play and have a wonderful time or she, you know, engage and be with adults. Um, it's just tough on a peer basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't really understand why that is, but you know, it's, it's a, it's pretty common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like how you both um, brought out the point that it's relationship relational. And I think that's the quintessential part of the Samaritan story is even if someone is different, um, we still can have relationship, but you're right. My kids, um, they, I, I have some adult friends that on the spectrum and one, he, doesn't have his family around him anymore. So I have to do a lot of things for him and I bring him around. And the first time I, I didn't tell the kids, I just wanted to see their reaction and they were respectful. But after he left, they were, why, why does he do this? Why does he do that? Why, why is he strange? And I used that as a teachable moment to let them see that what makes him different than you, you know, he has needs, you have needs. And I went from there to now my oldest is in high school they know to actually befriend those that other people run away from, you know, because people won't understand them. And I explained to them that as if we say we follow Christ, we're supposed to go for the people that people are ignoring and people are shunning. They are people just like we are. They have needs. They want someone to come say hello. So they're trained. If you go somewhere and they watch me too, if I go to a party, I don't care where I go, I take them with me. I'm specifically looking for people who no one goes to talk to. I don't know why people do this and I don't want to fault them, but if it's not put in the forefront of their mind, particularly young people, they won't do it. They're like, cause my oldest, he's really shy. And he's like, but daddy, I feel funny. I, 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 maybe I, I don't look like they might look, but I, I, I don't, I don't want to go talk to anybody. And so I told him in spite of, I was like, you, you don't realize I, I was more shy than you, but there's something in me that I just have to go reach out to people that other people think, I don't know what they're thinking, but they leave them alone. And if parents don't ever talk to kids about that, you have society doing the same foolish thing over and over again. Um, I don't know to answer this question, but how do we, how do we make people aware of that? And I, I love your organization because I think when they find a safe place that gives them some hope that, Hey, um, there, there are others around, but how do we, how do we get parents to the point where they're encouraging their kids to reach out? You know, I think that 
we have to teach we have to teach ourselves and we have to teach our children to be it, it's okay to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and it's okay to let our guard down um it's okay not to be perfect it's okay to make mistakes um and you know if you think about society and you think about the the model that society has created you know towards perfection and you know today kids are judged by how many likes they get or how many um who commented on their facebook post um, and their self-esteem comes from, right, this, um, you know, not from relationship, but, you know, from these false affirmations of who they are. And um, so I guess, Samuel, from my perspective, what I think has happened is society has encouraged us to put up walls and to not allow ourselves to be real. And, you know, part of being real is allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, um, and, you know, and so Stacy and I try to model that for, you know, we did for our children. But even now, I mean, talking about suicide as an example, you know, it's not comfortable for anybody and it needs to be talked about because it we need funding. Mental health needs to be funding. You know, these, so how do you encourage that be, by talking about it, by being vulnerable, by allowing yourself to be um judged you know perhaps um but um but being transparent so samuel that's a hard question (laughs) you know it just and all i can think back to in terms of us with our children um i i don't think that we can leave that to be taught by someone else i think that we have to teach it as parents um i think Fortunately for us, um, you know, having our faith and being extremely active in the church, we we showed that to our children and we we took them and did those things with them like volunteering. Because even that piece of these kids, I mean, I give these moms who bring their sons and daughters a ton of credit um, because Regardless of where they're volunteering, they're they they're doing things that make a difference, and that shows your children. Um, you know, I, leading by example, right? As a parent, and Samuel, you you're doing that by what you said, you know, and helping these other people, and then you know, having those lessons with your with your children about why um, and how. I mean, I wish, and you know, because now, I mean, yeah, we got walls up everywhere and, you know, people, people are saying things to other people that they would not say face to face. Yeah. (laughs) You know, in all these dynamics, you know, what we're dealing with computer wise and especially in the last year. Let's do two questions. I'd love to kind of hear who your, um, your examples of Good Samaritans were, but before we go to even that question, I'd love to just kind of give you guys an opportunity to just kind of share, you know, what you might want about Aaron's Hope for Friends or even just, you know, things that others should know that you wish others, um, you know, haven't done this a few years, just the one thing you wish parents knew or, you know, teenagers or whatever that, that could help um another kid like Aaron just anything so more of an open question I 
That's wide open. Yes, yes, it is. I think Samuel, I'll give you a chance to thank Stace. Um, I think Samuel hit it on the head. We need to teach. The one thing I wish we would do is we need to teach um, teach our kids how to be accepting and loving, right? Um, and and to be allow themselves to be vulnerable and and approach someone who's different than them, um, and be vulnerable and brave, right? It, it takes courage. Yeah. to step outside your comfort zone, to step outside your circle of friends, to step outside, um, you know, the things that make you feel accepted and, and um, be bold, you know? Um, you know, I, I think that, I think that our best volunteers are the ones, especially the teens are the ones that are, you know, they're willing to show up in spite of what somebody else may think about them or, you know, the questions that may, that somebody may have, you know, like, why are you hanging out with these kids? I think it's a sense of independence and a sense of duty almost on their part. We need to teach our kids to look beyond what they see. Mm -hmm. look what, you, what you see on the outside is not necessarily who we are on the inside. And that even applies to them. Um, you know, just because someone looks different doesn't mean that they're not a good person who, you know, needs a friend or needs somebody to talk to. Um, yeah. And, you know, again, goes back to the Good Samaritan. You know, if you're walking down the street, you see a homeless person. Well, guess what? <laughs> you know, that person had a life just like you. And you can't judge a book by its cover. Yep. Right. Best statement that was ever written. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and, you know, as, as far as the organization and, and parents, um, gosh, there's just, you know, my heart, our hearts ache for the number of people that we know and the number of kids that we know who are out there that are hurting. Yeah. And we just want to find a way. Um, you know, to help. Um, so we strive on. And I, and I would say you said you asked about our inspiration, Sam. I think that, um, you know, we've been fortunate to have to come up with, you know, in loving families and be surrounded by a lot of support. We were we were loved. You know, we we actually um, were carried, you know, at times through our grief by our, our brothers and sisters, literal brothers and sisters and figurative, you know, friends who were um, in small group or Bible study with us. And, you know, I, I think that was motivating, right? Because we had so much love around us, you know, kind of helping push us forward. But, you know, really, I think our motivation, my motivation is, is just Aaron. Um, you know, it's, it's, Every day I wake up and I try to have one encounter with somebody, a stranger, whether it's somebody in the checkout line. I try to be I read their name tag and call them by name and give them a compliment. I mean, you, you never know what one small gesture or one simple act of kindness, how, how it will manifest in somebody else's life. Yeah. Um, you know, and Aaron, you know, she was she was gifted that way. Aaron and Stacy, thanks so much for joining us. Thank mm -hmm. you.